So I take it we've all sort of been watching the news and the development of this coronavirus, right, as it's been sort of spreading across the globe. And, of course, over the weekend, the first death in the United States from it. And, uh, and I've just been thinking about this because it's like, you know, at the same time that that's spreading, you know, we had like this in this last week, there was uh, the greatest decline in the stock market since the Great Recession of, you know, 2008. And, you know, there's really no clear explanation for that except that people are just in a, a state of panic. And... Uh, you know, I, I, you know, God has not called us to panic. It doesn't say, blessed are the panicked. <laughs> for, for theirs is the stress of the kingdom, you know, or whatever, you know. It doesn't say that. Uh, but, you know, like I said earlier, I think that we'd be wise. But in the end, we trust God. You know, and, and I have found that it doesn't really matter. How many of you are, are old enough to remember the, 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 the lots of generators that were sold at year 2000? Amen. <laughs> Some of you still have those generators, and you have your, uh, you know, your survival kits in, that you never opened up. But, uh, so the issue is, is that, you know, things happen in this world. There are surprises. And, uh, and, and I think at times like that, you know, the Bible says in Haggai that, that God's going to shake everything. <laughs> He's going to shake everything. And the idea is that he's going to shake, and the only thing that's going to be left are the things that can't be shaken. But that's the things that that's the time that, that that our faith really gets tested, is through those shaking times in our life, and we find out what is it that we really believe, what do we really trust in anyway. And so, so it's sort of been interesting because as we've just been going through the Bible, going through the the book of Matthew, you know, last week we talked about. How Jesus is the master healer. You know, he's the master who heals all kinds of diseases. Okay? And this week, we're talking about how the disciples, when they went through a really rough time, <laughs> they panicked because they thought they were going to die. Okay? Disease, panic. Panic, Disease. Do you think the Bible is relevant at all to, uh, to our day and age, huh? So, so today, as we continue, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Now it says, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. So as Jesus was healing many people, they were all coming out and he was healing them all and, and the crowds were increasing, but his primary purpose was not just to heal people. His primary purpose was to heal them eternally, okay? <laughs> Amen? See, here's the thing. We, we, we have a lot of concern about people's physical health and that's good, but, but do we have equal concern for their eternal spiritual health? Like where they're going to be for eternity. That's huge. And this is really why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save what is lost. And so as the crowds began to come in, and he realized, okay, I, I need to move forward because uh, I need to go to other places. I need to preach the gospel. Um, and so he gives the command to depart to the other side. Now, just stick that under your hat, Okay. He tells his disciples, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. 
And then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, now we don't know a whole lot about this certain scribe. We don't get his name. We only know that he's a scribe, which meant that, you know, he spent a lot of time in the law of Moses. And uh, evidently, he was very impressed with what he saw happening with Jesus, you know, casting out demons out of people, healing diseases, hearing him teach the Sermon on the Mount, you know, and just, it's like, he says this, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be a disciple. And, uh, and you can't fault that desire, okay? It reminds me of, uh, you, you recall the book of Ruth, okay? Ruth was a Moabitess from the land of Moab, and, and uh, her, her mother-in-law was Naomi, a Jew, you know, and, and, and she said to Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. It's just a beautiful commitment between this woman and, and her, her mother-in-law, you know, to follow her wherever. And, and I think this is, this is what I think of here with this guy. Lord, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. Great commitment. Can't fault it. But then Jesus said, oh, I just spilled my grape juice. That's not what he said. That's what I said. Okay, let's move forward here. I forgot about this thing. Okay. So, um, okay. So, Jesus says, okay. Now, it would have been easy. So, Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay. Now, at first glance, this seems to sort of be a rebuff, you know? Hey, you know. But, but really, I think what Jesus is saying here is that, look, you need to understand what you're getting yourself into. Do you understand what this is all about? It wasn't that he was trying to say, don't follow me. And, and we don't even know whether the guy ends up following Jesus or not. We don't know. But what he's saying is, is that, You need to understand what this means to follow me. This is no cakewalk. This is not going to be easy. And for Jesus, you know, he said, look, foxes, they burrow in holes, you know. Birds, they have nests. I don't have a place. I am homeless. You ever think about that? Jesus was homeless. I mean, think about it. He, they, they had no room for him at the inn when he was born, right? <laughs> he had no place of his own. Everything that he had was borrowed. He didn't, you know, he had to borrow a donkey. He had to borrow, you know, an upper room. You know, he, the only thing he had was the clothes on his back. And we know that they would spend time in the Mount of Olives. That's where they'd camp out. And it's like, hey, are you, re- are you prepared for this? Are you prepared to understand what following me is going to require of you? There's sacrifice involved here. Are you prepared for that? Are you willing to pay that price, you see? And, uh, and, I, and, 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 and we know, of course, at another occasion, Jesus would say, look, if you're going to go build a tower, don't you first count the cost to see if you've got enough money to finish the project? Or else you get halfway through and then people just 
make fun of you. So, so count the costs. And, um, but, you know, I think that, you know, he, he doesn't want to prevent him from being a disciple, but he wants the, him to know that, that poverty and sacrifice would be required of him at this point in, in what Jesus' ministry was. Um, and so the question is, do we really understand the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? It, you know, look at, if, look at, you got your bulletins? You know, our vision statement, look at this. I'm going to read it to you. It, our vision, to help all who are stranded in sin turn and believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? Follow him and share him with others. So we, we're saved by our faith, praise God. But if you want to be a disciple, if you want to follow him, then you need to understand. Do you understand what's involved? And it's going to be different. You know, it's not like it's a vow of poverty for everybody. But what is the continuity here is that it implies relationship. That Jesus is my Lord. And I follow him. And, and I don't dictate to the Lord the way it's going to go down. <laughs> I don't try to convince Jesus of my agenda. I just show up and say, okay, Lord, you're Lord. I'm your servant. And I trust you. And I'm going to follow you wherever you lead. And that can cost us. It will cost us. That will cost us things in this life. But you got to understand that the, what you pay in this life does not begin to compare with the rewards in the next life. We like to say that if you are a follower of Jesus, the retirement benefits are out of this world, okay? Uh, so you suffer a little now, but lots of blessing later. Or have everything you want now and suffer greatly later, you see? That's really the choice. So, uh, but Jesus wanted him to understand, to really know what he was getting into. And that's important because the thing is, is that it's important to know that this is going to be a struggle. Life is hard. Those who would be godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, the Bible says. Okay, Understand that so that when you go through the hard times, you don't quit. And you don't gripe. You know, you don't whine. Like the, the children of Israel. Moses, we don't have any water to drink. You know. It's like, you understand. This is par for the course, as we say. Okay? So for the first thing here is that, now, another disciple comes, okay? Now, here we get another disciple that comes to Jesus. And we know this one, Jesus actually called. We get this in Luke's account. And we are told that Jesus initiated this conversation by saying to the man, follow me. So out of all the people, all the crowd, you know, Jesus looks at this guy and says, you, follow me. Okay? That would be a great honor, wouldn't it? If the Lord, the creator of the universe, points you out and says, hey, you. Come, be my disciple. So Jesus saw something in this guy and called him. Okay? So, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, 
follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Okay? Now, the big problem here is revealed in in the guy's first four words, okay? (laughs) Lord, let me first. Okay, stop right there. (laughs) Because, number one, there's a discrepancy here. If you say Lord and then you say me first, we got a problem, okay? There's a misunderstanding about this relationship between you and Lord, okay? If he's your Lord, it's not me first. It's the Lord first, amen? And that was the problem here. Of course, uh, Jesus would say in Luke 6, 46, uh, it kind of points this out. You know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Anybody can say, oh, Lord, you know, but are you doing what I've commanded you to do? That's where the rubber meets the road, as we would say. My pastor, Louis Neely, had a a saying that I I, I loved when I didn't have to obey it, but... uh, he used, to say, <laughs> he used to say, submission is never submission until you are told to do something you don't want to do. You know, before that, it's just you're just agreeing with whatever, you know. You're just doing what you agree with. But when the Lord says, I want you to do this, and you don't want to do it, well, now you prove whether or not you're submitting to him as Lord or not, you see. And that's the discrepancy Jesus pointed out. Look, why do you call me Lord, but then you don't? Do what I say. It's not me first. It's, it's not me first. It's him first. Amen? So that's what is implied in this relationship. Um, now, what else did Jesus say? Okay, about the me first thing. Jesus also said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Well, that's a popular message, right? How many of you uh, at the grocery store as you're checking out, you know, look at the National Enquirer and all these things, and then, and then you've seen the magazine Deny Self. Anybody seen that one? <laughs> no, what you see is self. <laughs> and, and everything you need to do to, you know, love yourself. Um, so this thing of Jesus, like, saying, hey, okay, this is what's involved here. First, you've got to deny yourself. And take up your cross. Do you realize how offensive that was? I mean, we don't do, we, we think of a cross. Oh, yeah, the cute little gold thing is hanging around your neck. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. Why don't you hang around your neck a gas chamber or an electric chair or a little firing squad or something? You know, I mean, that's what it meant to first century Christians. Jesus was saying, look, you've got to be prepared. You may, not saying you will, but you may go to the cross like I went to the cross. And for us, the cross, since we don't really, you're likely not going to be crucified on a literal cross. That's probably not going to happen. Okay, you know, I'm not, you know, making predictions here, but that's just not probably not going to happen. But what it does mean is just as the cross to Jesus represented his total obedience to the Father. See, we have a cross, and that is my obedience to the Lord. 
your obedience to the Lord. And we pick it up daily. We live sort of that life of the narrow road that we've been talking about. And that's what it means. And follow me, you know. How many of you played follow the leader when you were a kid? It's not complicated. (laughs) There's not a lot of rules to this game. (laughs) You you just keep your eye on the person in front of you. You do what they do. Jesus said, just keep your eyes on me. Watch me. Do what I do. Say what I say, you know. Believe what I believe. So, that's discipleship. Now, that's why the, the let me first thing will never work. It just won't work as a disciple. And if you do that, God, the Lord is going to challenge you on that. He's going to bring you through things that, that cause you to have to deal with that uh, anomaly. <laughs> okay? The me first anomaly. Uh, so what does Jesus say? This is, okay, this is the thing. He, he comes and he says, let me first bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Oh, man, that's harsh. That just would not fly in this sensitive culture that we're in today. Let, Jesus doesn't even let this guy go to his own dad's funeral? Come on, Jesus. That's harsh. But what is he really saying? Is that what he was saying? You know, the reality was the man's father probably was still alive. Okay? Because this was a saying. This was sort of a, an idiomatic saying that, hey, I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to be there for my dad so that when he dies, I'll be there, you know, to close his eyes kind of a thing, bury him, you know, and, and, and get the inheritance. See? That was what was implied in all of this. Let me take care of that. So I'm set up. Got a good retirement plan. Got the inheritance, you know. And then I'll come and be your disciple, you know. That's really probably what was going on here. So Jesus told him to let those who are spiritually dead, this is what he means, those who are spiritually dead, who are not alive to the gospel, not being called by Jesus to be his follower, to take care of their own dead, the, the physical dead uh, that they're bearing. You see, let the, the spiritually dead take care of the physically dead. Instead, Jesus actually, again, the other gospel says that Jesus said, you go preach the gospel of the kingdom. That's what I'm calling you to do. You know, they can take care of the rest of your family. You follow my calling. Um, so it's not a prohibition against going to funerals, okay? doesn't mean that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you, you never go to your dad's funeral, okay? He's not saying that, obviously. <laughs> because Jesus went to his friend Lazarus's funeral, right? Showed up a few days late. Uh, made a scene. Uh, <laughs> you know, rose him from the dead. <laughs> Uh, but, um, so that's not what he's saying, clearly. Now, when Jesus calls his follower, he expects him not to delay. It's not like, oh, you know, I'll follow you, Lord, when I get around to it. Just haven't gotten around to it, you know. I'll get there one of these days, you know. Procrastinating is not, I, I, although we all do it, I do it. Who does not do it? Anybody want to raise your hand? You dare raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing, you know, when it's like 
like cleaning the garage, okay? That's uh, cleaning the garage. Anybody that believes in evolution that things go from a disordered state to an orderly state has never had a garage. Let me just tell you. It does not work that way. Uh, But, you know, when God tells you to do something, you know, like when he told Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go preach in Nineveh. You know what? Uh, Yeah, right, whatever. I'm going to go on vacation to Tarshish, a little Mediterranean cruise. Uh, See you later, God. We'll get to that later. You say, no, no, you won't. (laughs) You're going to go to Nineveh, you see. And I have a way of of messing with your travel plans. (laughs) Uh, So... That's what is implied in discipleship. Okay? Now, I, got a, I was talking to my daughter this last week, and she said, I'm just so frustrated. You know, I said, well, what's wrong? She goes, well, I, I can't get Jay to clean his room. He's been after it, like, for the last day, and it's not done. And now, you realize as you grow older and your children become adults that you have to be wise about what you say. And I try, you know, to, I'll never forget, I've shared this quote before, but it made such an impression on me. It was Wayne Taylor uh, in, in Seattle. His wife was sharing that. When our, she said, when our kids were younger, we used to spend a lot of time talking to them about God. She goes, now we spend a lot of time talking to God about them. But, uh, so I just said, okay, do you, do you mind if I give you any advice here? She goes, no. Um, so I, I said, this is what I would do. I would say, Jay, a little Bible lesson here. The Bible says, if you will not work, you will not eat. You're not going to have lunch until this room is clean. So she comes to me yesterday. She's all excited. Well, he didn't get it done till 2 o'clock. <laughs> but it's done. <laughs> Late lunch. <laughs> uh, because, you know, it, when you tell your kids, do it, I expect you to do it now, not tomorrow, not three weeks from now. And if we feel that way, you know. So, so God, you know, wants us to do what he calls us to do when he calls us to do it. And the last thing here is that it was clear that the guy's loyalties were divided. Um, now, a person with divided loyalties cannot be Christ's disciple because Christ has to be first. And, 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 and that's why Jesus puts that to the test. You know, uh, we, we see uh, uh, regarding this sort of divided loyalties thing, James said their loyalty is divided. He's talking about double-minded people. He says their loyalty is divided because God... And, uh, between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Listen, folks, if you want to talk about instability as a Christian, it's because your interests are divided, your heart is divided. You've got one foot in Christ and in the kingdom, and one foot in the world, and that will create instability. Nobody can count on you if you're like that. God can't even count on you. Okay? Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, David realized that, and he even prayed, Lord, unite my heart to serve you. And the, the fact of the matter is, we all have a divided heart to some degree. We get pulled to this or that. But to the degree that you are double-minded is 
to the degree of your instability. You want to be stable as a believer? You want to make a, a strong walk and continue growing in your faith in Jesus so that you're more used by him in the kingdom and people can depend on you? This is where it starts. Be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Totally. Put him first. Love him first. Love him above all else. And you will be stable. (laughs) You'll be a stable person. Not to mention a a stable Christian. Amen? So, So that's why Jesus said, you know, he said in Luke 14, 26, If you want to be my disciple... You must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Whoa. That's intense. Do you hear what he's saying here? Now, now, now clearly, he's not saying don't love your wife, okay? Because we're, we're told in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives. But what he is saying is, You cannot have any love more than me if you're going to be my disciple. Any questions on that? Father, mother, wife, children, even your own life, your own self. Relatively speaking, have to take the back seat to your love for me. That's what it means. So, they're hard words. And this is what Jesus wanted these would-be disciples to understand. This is what's involved. Now, again, God will put this to the test. You you know, if you love your wife more than Jesus, you got problems. God's not going to bless his sin, by the way. God is the head of man, or God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of his wife. And if you, and you want to love your wife, you want to listen to your wife, you want to understand your wife, which I think Jesus was the only person that ever actually was able to do that. But anyway, that's beside the point. We, we try to do that by God's grace. I, and part of that comes with listening. I'm working on that. I have the bumper sticker, my wife says I don't listen to her, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, but all at the end of the day, I still have to give an account unto the Lord for what we do. And he's going to hold me accountable for my wife, for my children, whatever. And, and, and so if you, you listen to your wife like Adam did, that didn't work out so well for him. We've all been suffering ever since. Uh, <laughs> rather than listening to God... Now, there are other times, like with Abraham, you know. Abraham, you know, Sarah's saying, get Hagar out of here, you know. And Abraham's, oh, God, you know, this woman you gave me, you know, listen to Sarah. She's telling, telling the truth here. You do need to get Hagar out of the picture. So there's times when God says, I love when he says that. Just teasing. Uh, my wife loves when he says that. <laughs> uh, but the point here is, is and, and then there's people that they're put their family, their kids I see people worshiping their kids. They're so putting their kids first that they put their kids before the Lord. And that is a huge mistake, folks. It's gonna, that will ruin your life. It will ruin your family. 
And you won't be able to really teach them about the discipleship because they're ruling the house, you see. Oh, it's quiet in here. God will put that to the test. You know, God gave Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, whom Abraham adored. I mean, he waited long enough for this kid, right? He was 100 years old when he was born. And then he said, okay, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and present him as a burnt offering on the, on the mount, I will tell you. You know, it's like, what? But he was willing to do it. And, of course, God stopped him. He spared Abraham's son, but on the same place, God would not spare his own son. But, but the point was, but when it was all done and Abraham passed the test, what did God say? Okay, Abraham, now I know that you love me, seeing that you would not spare even your own son whom you love. You know? God won't ever ask you to sacrifice your kids. Not like that, not physically. But you know what? Whatever could come between you and God, that he will tell you to put on the altar. He will, because he's a jealous God. And he must be first. And, he, and you must love him above all else. That's discipleship. And Jesus wanted them to know, this is what you're getting yourself into. You need to understand that this is what it's about. But you know what? Who is worthy of our love more than Christ? Who gave himself, who became sin for us so that we could become righteous, the righteousness of God? Who, who was rich and yet he gave all of that up and became poor so that you could become rich in him? I mean, who deserves our love and adoration and devotion like him? And he's good. So, discipleship. So, the goal of discipleship is total commitment to Christ for total life. D.L. Moody, the evangelist, said, When I was a young man, I heard Henry Barley say that the world is yet to see what God can do for a man fully yielded to him. And I said I wanted to be that man. But I can see today that the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully yielded to him. <laughs> he realized that, you know, man, that was a great aim. But he knew, he knew he still fell short. We all fall short. But wouldn't you agree that God did mighty things through the life of D.L. Moody? Why? Because he was yielded to the Lord. He was surrendered to God. And he sought, you know to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we come now to this next section. And it says that when they got into the boat, verse 23, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. Now, the disciples, these guys, at least four of them, maybe more, were fishermen. They understood the Sea of Galilee. They were out on their own boats a lot of times. They, they knew 
what can happen and, and how I've been told that the, the wind really can whip up there very quickly. Um, but this was like nothing they had experienced before. This was a storm, stormageddon, okay? This was like they had never experienced anything like this where the wind and the waves were so whipping up the waves that they were coming into the boat and they thought they were going to die. They really thought they were going to die. They hit the panic button. Okay? And that's what happens when you get really afraid. You, know, you go into panic mode. And that's exactly what was happening. Now, I think it's a perfect allegory for the storms that can suddenly whip up in our lives unexpectedly. Job loss. Sickness. Conflicts. Betrayal. Accidents or the loss of the sudden loss of loved ones. These are things you can't prepare for. We're not immune to them. You know, this, these are things that come with life. In 1991, Cindy and I, we lost five close family members in one year. I did something at all of their funerals. I mean, it was just like boom, 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 boom. You know, there are, thank God, every year is not like 1991. That was a year of infamy, okay? But the thing is, is that you go through things like this in life where it's unexpected and suddenly the storm whips up and you hit, you're panicking because you don't see any way out. And you don't know what to do. And, and, so, and, and so what do they find? Here's this tempest. They think they're going to die. They're freaking out. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Are you kidding me? You know? And he's just like, you know? <laughs> and so they, they go to him, Jesus. You know, now we know that one of the other disciples says that they said, don't you care that we're dying? You know? So not only was Jesus sleeping, but he didn't care. Don't you care what I'm going through, Lord? See, have you ever, have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, like, God, you're, where are you? Are you sleeping up there? What's going on? Why are you allowing this to happen? Don't you care? You know, like, David, I, I've, I've cried out. My voice is parched. It's dry as a bone. I'm down in the lowlands, you know, in the mire, crying out, where are you, God? You ever felt like that? It happens. It happened to the disciples. But at least they had the presence of mind to know who to call out to. <laughs> they weren't calling out to Peter. <laughs> Peter, do something. No, they go to Jesus. Jesus, wake up! We're dying here, you know? <laughs> and so, it may seem to you like the Lord is sleeping. You know what? He's not. Look at Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Okay, he's not sleeping up there. We know that. 
But he does allow us to go through it, doesn't he? Sometimes. And it's not that he doesn't care. Now, now all of those questions would have been natural, like for Job. I think if I was Job, I'd have been asking all those questions. Lord, what, what's going on here? What, why am I going through this? And of course, you know, his friends, they had all the answers. Well, Job, it's evident you got sin in your life. You need to confess your sin. That's why all this is happening. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? You know, when you are going through this kind of stuff, that's the last thing you need. And that's why Job would say, miserable comforters are you all. You know? But it would have been natural. And in this case, they panicked. But Jesus rose, he, says, he said to them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and went, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? So Jesus gets up, and, 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 he, and, he, and he, you know, sort of chastens them, you know? Why did you not believe? Why are you afraid? You have little faith. No. Um, back up. Do you remember what Jesus said back in verse 18? Let's go to the other side. I, I don't... I, it, has the Lord ever said something to you, maybe just through your devotions, you're reading the word or whatever, and... Or he spoke something in your heart, and you're just like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. And, and you just kind of keep going. And, and, and you didn't even really take that in. How many of you know that if the Lord tells you, let's go somewhere, you're going to get there? Amen? Listen, the Lord is never going to tell you, oh, let's go over to the other side. And, oh, I forgot about you. Sorry, you drowned. Too bad. Uh <laughs> If he tells you to go to the other side, how many of you know you're going to get there? Amen? Now, you may not look like much when you get there, okay? <laughs> Granted, some of us are losing some hair, you know. We may not look, but we are going to get there. Amen? So, but they weren't really listening to that. And consequently, they didn't have faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If they didn't listen to what Jesus said... They would have just said, you know, I don't, this is pretty crazy, but hey, Jesus did say that we're going to get to the other side of the lake, so hey, he's in control. We're good. Let, let's, you know, play some cards. We're cool. <laughs> but they didn't believe because they didn't really hear. And so Jesus said, hey, you have little faith. Why are you so fearful? So he gets up and, you know, he rebukes the wind and the waves. And, and I, I, this, is, this is one of those videos I want to watch when we get to heaven, you know. I mean, like, can you imagine? It's, it's just, it's so crazy out there. They think they're going to die. It's that sort of panic. And Jesus just gets up there. And what does he say? He does say, be still. You know, is that what he says? It's just, does he just say, shut up? You know, I don't know. I don't know what he says, you know. Chill out. Calm down. I don't know what he said. But anyway, as soon as he says it, and what happens? They marvel. They marvel. 
And, and they said, who can this be? Who is this guy? That even the wind and the wave and, and the winds and the sea obey him. Now, I, how have we ever considered when we're in the storm, when we're panicking, that perhaps the Lord is allowing you to go through this to build, number one, build your faith, because it doesn't happen unless it's tested. And number two, so that at the end of the day, you can marvel when you see, wow, God, look what you did. Look what you brought us through. Praise Jesus, you know. And we marvel at his power and his grace and his goodness because he did hear our prayer. He wasn't sleeping. He did care. It's just it didn't happen when we wanted it to, you know. And I think that's really what was happening here. They marveled. And so, you know, Jesus doesn't only calm the sea, right? He calms the raging waves of our heart. And and the the way we know this is because later in the upper room, the night before he's crucified, you know, he's, he's got his disciples there and he says... Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now that word in the Greek can also be translated stirred up or or agitated. Don't let your heart become agitated. You know what I think of? I think about the agitation cycle in our washing machine, you know? Do you ever feel like you're in there? You know? It's like... Just be glad you're not in the spin cycle, okay? Could be worse. But, but the Lord says, don't let your heart be agitated, troubled. And, and notice here, very simple instructions. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Listen, when I'm really going through it, and I'm, I'm going through the trials and I, or suffering or whatever it may be. I don't need a big dissertation on, you know, the infinite value of suffering. I don't need people telling me, oh, well, you need to be doing this. Or maybe you should have been doing that. You know, so I say, you know what, just be quiet and pray. You know. And I, I love the fact that Jesus just said, trust God. Trust God. Believe in God, believe in me. Trust God. And that works for everything, folks. It works for the coronavirus. Trust God. He's in control. Didn't he say that there's going to be plagues in the last days? Hey, what a great opportunity to be able to share the gospel that, you know, our lives are not wrapped up in this world. This world is ultimately perishing. We're going to a better world. But we don't need to be afraid. He's not giving us a spirit of fear. We don't need to be panicked. We can rest in the Lord. Whatever. Be wise. Yeah, but you know, you don't have to live in panic mode. The Lord does it's not the Lord doesn't want you to be panicked. He's given you peace. To guard your heart. 
to show you the right way to go, to trust him, to trust him to protect you. Is he not your protector? Is he not your provider? Doesn't he care? He does care. So, and then, John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So, what does the Lord give for panic? Peace. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. You can control that because you've got the Lord's peace in you. It's not as the world gives. The world doesn't have it. Guess what? Isaiah said there's no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. The world doesn't have it. Don't expect them to. They won't. But you have the peace of God living in you. You have the peace of Christ to guard your restless, troubled heart and to keep you from fear. So don't let your heart be troubled. He says, I give you my peace. He's saying this to his disciples that are going to witness his crucifixion. In just a few hours, they're all going to abandon him. Peter's going to deny him. They're going to be completely despondent because they think all of their hopes are dashed when they see Christ crucified. And Jesus says, peace I give you. And what is the first thing he says when he finally sees him Sunday night? Peace to you. You know? Peace to you. So, if you feel a panic attack coming on because things are out of your control, you can't manipulate it, you can't manage it, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't change it. What do you do? Here's a simple prayer. Lord, I trust in you and in your perfect peace. I refuse to let my heart be troubled or fearful because by your grace, I'm trusting you. Guide me to my destination. Amen? I refuse to give in to panic. I trust you to guide me to where you want me to go. Whether that's life or death, okay? Though he slay me, yet I will serve him. Why? Because I trust him. Amen?